I'm Laurel Ruma with O'Reilly Media, and today we're talking with Brenda Nike, who is the creator of JavaScript, the co-founder of Mozilla, and the CEO founder of Brave. So Brendan, tell me, what about the web is broken? Uh, the way the web <laughs> is paid for is mostly, I think, advertising. And, you know, it's always good if you can get a subscription. The New York Times is, is experiencing, a, has been experiencing a surge in subscriptions since the election. But this is not guaranteed, and it doesn't seem like it can run the whole web as we see it. The amount of money spent in the U.S. last year on advertising, uh, the so-called gross spend was $80 billion. So that's a lot of money. Uh, and yet it's bred this surveillance capitalism system that we live under where the advertisers and the publishers can't make a match without third parties to track and to run ad auctions and exchanges and to run other sort of intermediation services that raid your privacy, drain your battery, and subject you to not only annoying retargeting of ads, but also malware risk and, and of course, defraud the advertisers heavily. Okay. So as you said, we have to pay for the web in some way. But when I have a subscription to something like the New York Times, I pay them directly, and then I get it served up through the web. But that's where the third-party interests come along, right? They tend to, either through analytics services that seem innocent at first. Uh, they should just be like the New York Times studying its own server logs to see what articles were popular. But these analytics partners can often track you across the web for their own business interests, and sometimes that leads to problems. And then, of course, there's advertising. If you're not subscribing or donating, or if the aggregate subscriptions and donations aren't enough to provide all the free base-level content that New York Times or NPR provides to everybody, whether they donate or not, then you're going to have to use advertising. And that's what is used to the tune of $80 billion last year. That's an enormous amount of money. So that's just on the web. That's nothing to do with that's, television. That's right. Digital in the U.S., the global digital was around 160 or 70, I forget. Uh, the global all advertising is 700 or 800 billion. So it's, it's still big due to television, radio, print media. But internet is crossing over and in some ways eating television as we see with Netflix and all the other over-the-tops, uh, YouTube, uh, Red and all that. So there's this huge disruption happening where internet uh, and television merge and the advertising model that worked when everyone sat around to watch the Brady Bunch like I did on Friday night, uh, isn't watching the same uh, few channels that the major brands can buy advertising space in. And instead, we have to find a new way to support a lot more content. Netflix does it through a subscription. That works great for them because they have such scale. But that's, again, not enough to support all the content we see out there because much of it clearly depends on ads. So Brave is a browser that's trying to work with ads in some way, knowing that you can't just have subscriptions, you also have to have ads, but how can we do it in a really humane way that doesn't give away all of our data? Yes. In fact, we start from a very clean baseline. We don't want to do anything without the user's consent. So there's no alternate ad system in Brave if you don't opt into it. And if you do opt into it, this is coming up, it's not available yet, you get paid the majority of the revenue. So we try to align economic interests. Money isn't everything, but if those are out of alignment, probably everything else is out of alignment too. And that uh, is something we're hoping to bring to trial, to user trials in, in the next few months, and then market trials after as soon as possible. But even now, as I mentioned, you can just take a grant from us of these basic attention tokens and anonymously trickle them at the end of 30 days across your top sites that have been measured as your, your sites to support only on your browser, only on your device. Okay, so just to back up. So the browser itself is free. But if I wanted to be a really good patron of my favorite websites, 
I could then set aside some of the basic attention tokens and say, I'm going to buy $100 worth. And then I myself can determine where I actually kind of tip more or less these, my favorite news outlets or whatever yes. it may be. Yes. And, and the real issue there is you don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about who to tip. So what we make super easy is if you, if you fund your wallet, there's a wallet in the browser for these tokens. If you take a grant from us to fund it, because we don't think you should have to pay for it to get started, and we're going to keep giving you grants as long as we can until something better happens, like the ad system comes up and you choose that. If you get your wallet to have some tokens in it, then over 30 days, your sites that you browse to, your YouTube creators, are measured in a very simple way by visit, count, and view time. And it's all measured locally. You can look at it in your settings. It looks like an alternative view of your browsing history, which people are used to looking at. You can clear it if you don't like it. If you see some site is, look, is eligible for some of the attention you're giving and you don't want to support it, you can turn it off. If you wish to pin a percentage of your monthly budget to a site, like say Wikipedia, whether you go there or not that often, you want to give them 10% of your monthly you know, $10 budget, you can pin and set the percentage. So it's, it's very much like a combination of um, chart beats or another analytic service but for you, based on your local data on your, on your device in your browser, and Patreon in the browser, and it's anonymous. So at the end of the 30 days, on the last day, you get a little reminder to check your payments, and then they, they reconcile without any user identifier. They use uh, cryptography and zero-knowledge proof uh, cryptography in particular to make your individual sites and creators you support unlinkable to one another and unlinkable to your wallet's address or your internet protocol address. So it's really a deterministic anonymous system. We don't see your list of supported sites because that could identify you. We don't want that. Again, we want can't be evil. We want to blind ourselves or uh, to use Cory Doctorow's metaphor, we want it to be like uh, Ulysses lashed to the mast. He, he can't uh, wreck his ship because his crew have wax in their ears. He can hear the sirens sing, but no matter how much he begs, he won't go wrong because he's tied firmly by sailor knots. So we want that kind of a sailor knot cryptography. There's a lot kind of in here. First of all, everything I can do on the web through Brave will be completely anonymous. So unlike what it is now through other browser experiences, I'm completely tracked and that information is sold. And then I can then kind of determine my participation with the BAT token and how much it goes. But then it actually gives you, the only thing it gives you is a way to understand how much people weight the various publishers. So you don't have my information, the publishers don't have my information, but you do have some kind of idea of how popular certain publishers are. The settlement process, which we also would like to decentralize, blockchain is, is uh, we hope, good for decentralization of everything, including the settlement phase. Uh, but we do currently have that with a partner called Uphold, where we'll see the lump sums going to the various publishers. But since we're trying to decentralize that as well, that's kind of a blind process too. Yes, we, we can see that, you know, uh, and some people have commented on this, we announced a partnership with Dow Jones Media Group. So some of the, the properties there are verified publishers. We have some notable YouTubers like uh, Bart Baker and Philip DeFranco already known, and their YouTube accounts can receive payments from us. Uh, we have uh, Townsquare Media, which has a number of properties, uh, pop culture, hip-hop, music, so on, that are uh, now registered publishers with us, verified publishers with us. So our system is meant to eventually decentralize, and that means... What we do now is a combination of blockchain and some, uh, because we go pay these, these companies uh, like partners in U.S. dollars, for instance, some centralized services. But it's all anonymous at the user level. I would say about your earlier comment, browsers can be more or less private. People use private browsing 
mode and they think that they're saved from being tracked. They're not generally. Uh, Firefox does turn on tracking protection in private tabs. We have that kind of protection on in Brave all the time. Public tab, any tab, it's always on. Now, there is an arms race there. And if somebody really wants to study you, if you always go to Facebook and you're logged in there, then they will learn about you. Uh, but that's kind of a voluntary part of the relationship with the so-called first party, the site you went to. So we think that's that's consent-based up to a point. The problem is a lot of these sites, including Facebook, have grown tracking capabilities around the web. Or if they're not a Google or a Facebook, they partner with trackers, and then there emerge a whole set of conflicts of interest and malware risks and fraud risks. And that's what we're trying to take down by cutting out all the middle players. So do you see this as the next web? You know, you've been in the industry a long time. Obviously, O'Reilly's been there with you as well. But now we're looking at this as almost a backlash of like, no, the, the way that the internet is now is not the way that we want it to be. Let's kind of get back to that um, early vision of the user having more control. Yes. Uh, the, the web stopped evolving up the stack, if you will, to higher domains of discourse like anonymous tips or donations or payments or small payments or uh, ads that share revenue anonymously with users or you know, like fundraising campaigns that could have been done as part of the web standards. Instead, these became captured, uh, social network uh, connections, these became captured by businesses in server side of the web and became superpowers in the usual, you know, Pareto optimal way. The, the first and second place winners become 80% or more of the market. Sometimes you get real monopolies. And this never ends well for the user. You end up with all the, the users sort of clustered around this superpower, a Google or a Facebook, unable to kind of get any bargaining power unless they use the technology that we have on the user side, which is the browser side, the client side. So we're looking at a massive disruption. And are you finding that it was really cryptocurrency is what made this all possible? Like, is this the next disruptive technology that will actually shake things up and actually loosen that that hold, stranglehold, some would say, that Facebook and Google have? I think there are two things going on here that are worth noting. One is, if you just block trackers and ads, and I, I emphasize the invisible trackers because some of the most popular ad blockers actually let the trackers through because they whitelist some ads uh, for a fee under the table. <laughs> Long story. Um, but we block trackers and ads. And if you just do that, you're certainly taking out risk to the user and cost. You're making the browsing experience much faster, more pleasant, and safer. But you know, to some extent, you might be hurting publishers you like. So we want to allow users to give back. Now, how do you give back without complex you know, money transmission regulations and licensing and so on? Cryptocurrencies step up in that, that regard and are really a wonderful way to do it because for small balance amounts, the user can hold the custody and take the risk of losing the funds. If you back up your wallet key, we can restore those funds. It's actually better than a small dollar balance where if you lost the secret key, you might lose the dollars for good. And then the bigger story with cryptocurrencies is the blockchains underlying them, because that allows us to decentralize many things, including settlement and sort of high-level analytics that can be uh, shared or can be permissioned on the blockchain for various partners that do not require anybody to own a single server that controls who's good and who's bad or who's allowed in or who's allowed out, or can be gamed by uh, you know all these operators out there that we, we're hearing about with the Facebook hearings. So... Open source plays a massive role in this, though, right? Like, we're kind of seeing a resurgence in the importance of open source. I would say open source is, is now just table stakes for a lot of businesses. But in, in a almost, um, I think, a mundane way, like people use GitHub for all their projects. Companies use GitHub. 
Uh, recruiters look at GitHub to see who to recruit. And this, this has you know, pluses and minuses. The big uh, value of the blockchain is the, the code is open source and the ledger, the chain of blocks that everybody's replicating, confirming through a process like mining or some other proving process is all open and public and can be audited. That obviously has uh, privacy and anonymity issues. So that's why we use uh, zero-knowledge proof protocols, which are becoming popular on certain blockchains. But Having the public ledger lets you make sure no one's embezzling. It makes you uh, makes it easier to weed out fraud, which is ever present in any human affairs where money changes hands at scale. But but it, it's just better to have the open source and the open public ledger. There's a lot going on in open source, as there always is, and even with JavaScript as well. Are there certain you know languages or tools and techniques you're seeing that you think that everyone really should just have a basic knowledge of? Well, I, I have to wave the JavaScript flag because it's still growing. I'm I'm going to be at the next standards meeting in New York in a couple of weeks. It's getting imp- important not only, uh, obviously, through Node.js on the server side, but also in sort of IoT settings and small devices. It's it's one of those successful viruses that just spread because I did it fast enough at Netscape that it got out before Microsoft killed Netscape. And we don't have to live with a BB script, which Microsoft was trying to do kind of by copying. So, you know, I think JavaScript is important. I think uh, it's not the only language, and we're finally making it have a, a big number type, big integer type, so that people can do things like machine learning or, or, you know, proper large book accounting. But there are other languages that are important to learn, and I hear a lot of talk about Go. We use some Go at Brave, as well as Node.js. Obviously, I'm a fan of Rust, which I was executive sponsor of at Mozilla, and Rust seems to be just doing great everywhere. It's It's kind of made it uh, to, I think, wide adoption and still has a great team, core team working on it. There's, there's the, in the blockchain space, I think there is a need for better programming languages because the blockchains that have a programmable smart contracts, Ethereum notably, the, the first big one, uh, to make it that way, the programming languages used for the smart contracts, I think, will improve and should improve. So we're in the second golden age of programming language evolution where there's all I think over the last 15 years, there's just been a lot of innovation. Now we're seeing it help solve problems in blockchain. Oh, I love that. Do you think, speaking of Microsoft and being a good citizen, are we seeing a new golden age for Microsoft as well? I have friends at all the big companies, and I have to say Microsoft's not what it used to be. And yes, they they do play uh, very nicely in the standards bodies. Um, they're doing very well. I joked uh, at Brooklyn JS the other year that Microsoft is Mozilla. Um, Google is Apple, and uh, uh, Google is Microsoft. Excuse me, and Apple is Apple. So sometimes the the roles change, the the, the companies uh, change change attitudes, but they they you still have a mix of, of the good, the bad, and the ugly there. Yeah, that's kind of sort of interesting way of looking at it. Like, how do you see now yourself as a you know golden age new startup person who's who's kind of gone through this? Now this is your second time around. You know, how are you positioning the way that you lead your company and run it? I think it's important uh, that we, we contribute to things uh, like um, W3C and the uh, ECMA standards body for JavaScript, which we're doing. Uh, we're members of W3C. Uh, I look forward to working with Apple and I hope Mozilla on some privacy standards because when I mentioned the web sort of stopping evolution in the 90s in layers of protocols to do with payments and people and anonymity, that those got captured by big network superpowers. I think there is now an opportunity in the standards bodies to reform that, decentralize it, allow cryptocurrencies, allow privacy by design, get rid of the sort of ad hoc tracking techniques that em- evolved sort of accidentally on top of the image, the cookie in JavaScript. 
So I, I'm concerned with that technical agenda. I'm also, you know, running a growing company, which is challenging in its own right. And we're doing something that I mentioned earlier, trying to align the user's interests and ours so closely that if we ever defected in a way the user could perceive by lots of different means, like we wouldn't pay them what we promised, or if they opted into the ads, or we, we had closed source code, you couldn't audit all our code is open source, or we did anything else, like violated their consent by not asking them first before we enabled uh, the ads that they would have to choose, they would dump us fast. So I think uh, this is a chance to try something a little more commercial, but aligned with the user's interests. When I mentioned the sides of the network that grow in a client-server setting, you always get, through Metcalf's law, uh, this problem where the big servers win and keep winning. They, they become uh, entrenched. And, and so the users can only fight back if they, in some sense, unionize. Now, there are lots of ways to unionize, and I, I don't think Brave is the only one, but I think we're certainly out ahead in, in paying our users in uh, tokens, in giving the user consent, not turning on ads for them without their consent, for instance. Uh, things like that will, will, I think, help us over time. And we intend to keep it clean. Uh, e- even things like the revenue share, we want to be a 70% uh, of the gross revenue to the user. And you can check that on the blockchain. And that's the app store ratio. I don't think Apple could change it if they wanted to, or if their shareholders wanted them to. So I think there is a, an opportunity, having been through the Mozilla process where we had a lot of growth in the early days that was I think mostly funded by the Google partnership. But over time, people started saying, well, Google's doing their own browser. How long can that last? What are you going to do to fund yourself in the long run? And I think Mozilla is figuring that out now, but we're doing this from first principles of Brave, and we're doing it in a way that is user-first and private by design and consent-based. I think that's really critical because uh, here at O'Reilly, we have this uh, create more value than you capture, which yes. that's that first principle. I think most companies need. Um, and we may be seeing that sort of mission-based focus start coming around to more startups these days. Yeah, I'm a fan of Tim's phrase here. That's a good one. So let's see, to wrap it up, the browser war is not dead. Never is. I mean, people always count it out. Like IE was the end of the world. It was the last browser forever until Firefox proved otherwise. And then that showed Google how to do Chrome. Now we're into a new world where I think the browsers like Chrome have been captured by ad companies. It's time for a, a, a new set of browsers. Thank you very much, Brendan. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.